in a series called Abide. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at really two sections of Scripture at the same time. The first section is a large section of Scripture in John. And uh, if you have a Bible, when you open it up, and anytime Jesus is talking, there's red letters. This particular section of Scripture is all red letters. So John 14, 15, 16, and 17. It's just Jesus talking a lot. And, and, and it's really interesting because what this is, is what I call a data dump. It's just one of my terms. It's when I'm, uh, like if I just call you and I just want to talk over stuff, I don't really have a point. I just want to get out what's in my head. I call it a data dump. Aaron has heard probably 17,000 of them where I'll call him up and go, hey, can I just dump like just what's in my head? And so... Uh, this is what Jesus is doing. You've done it if you're a parent and you've left a kid at home for the first time by themselves while you go out to dinner, okay? On your way out the door, you say things like this. Oh, and by the way, don't leave the oven on. Oh, and also keep the door locked and don't answer it. Oh, and don't tell anyone on Facebook that we're gone. Oh, and don't, like, you just go through this whole thing of, of like, I, we're leaving, and so I want to get as much information out as I can to make sure that I, it's, everything's going to be okay. This is what Jesus is doing. He is covering an incredible amount of information for these disciples before he dies. Okay, and so so in that is this this concept of that we are to abide in Christ, and and that language is is um, about you know vines and things like this that we get our nutrients, we get our life from a relationship with Him, and that's why we call it abide. Well, the other section of Scripture that we're talking about, and these are the different things that we're going through each week, is what we call the fruit of the Spirit. When I abide in Christ, when I give my whole life to God, when I allow him and give him control, there are certain things that just happen in life. We call them the fruit of the Spirit. Things like love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Um, against such things, the Bible says, there is no law. And, and the idea behind that is that there's no way to just, like there's, there's no way to go against any of these things. You don't, you don't look at your life and say, you know what, I need less gentleness in my life. Or, um, you know what, I wish I didn't have so much peace. It's driving me crazy. You know, you, you wouldn't do that. This, you, almost any human being on the planet would look at this and say, wow, that's the life I want. And, and Paul, in this, in this uh, uh, letter to Galatia that he's, that he's writing, he puts this together with the deeds of the flesh. And you read that list and you go, yeah, I'm not so much interested in that. I, I want the fruit of the Spirit. Well, Paul tells us that these things are in conflict with one another. And so, so the stuff we just want to do naturally, the stuff that we want to strive for, the stuff that we find value, oftentimes just by the fact that we're human goes against what God would have for us. Well, what, what do we do? How do we get past that? How do we abide? If everything in us wants to do the other thing, how do we abide? And that's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. Well, this morning, I want to talk about peace. And I would imagine that in our group, um, there's probably 90% of us have something we're going through right now that brings us anxiety. It might be your job. 
It might be a retirement that you're hoping to have that as you keep running the numbers on your online calculator, it doesn't come up right, you know. It might be your school that uh, either a teacher or a bunch of teachers or your grades or people who bother you at school. When you think about school, you get that anxious feeling inside. It might be your career. It might be a presentation you're doing on Monday. It might be the team that you work with at work, and there's just that one person, and you're thinking, how do I get rid of that one person? You know, what, what, what have you. There's just a lot of things that bring us anxiety. It might be your marriage. But when you think about your marriage, it's just this kind of pit in your stomach. Uh, it might be somebody in your family sick, really sick. Maybe you're really sick. And so these things sit there. One of the things that made... Me, the most anxious I've ever been in my life um, was when Lisa and I first got married, uh, we, we, we got into this, okay? And um, that is a little duplex in Torrance, or uh, actually it was in Lamita, which is just kind of right by Torrance. And um, we got married right after college. And so we started dating in high school. We started dating our junior year. We dated through high school. We went to separate colleges, and we got married right after college. We had no money, nothing but school debt. I had no career, like, to think of. I majored in business and economics. And one class I took was called business law. And the only thing that that class did for me was, you better know exactly what's in a contract before you sign it, because once you sign it, you're stuck in it. You know, that's just you. You sign it. You're supposed to know what's in it, right? Which was great. Um, and it was a great class. And you got to read about all these awesome lawsuits that people did to each other and, and how they got out of lawsuits and all that. It was very fascinating, except for the fact that when we got married, there was a contract in front of me for a rental agreement for that particular duplex. And uh, with all the business classes that I took, it looked like gibberish to me. I had no idea what was in it. There was something about my firstborn and all this kind of stuff and litigation and arbitration and all that kind of stuff. And so I was scared to sign it. I didn't want to sign it because I was afraid that it, it meant that I was going to you know, end up in prison. And so, uh, so here, here it is. So I did the one thing, the, the only thing I could think of. I had to call my dad, okay, because I, I was scared. So, um, uh, I, so I called my dad, and um, there was a phone in the duplex, and I said, um, hey, dad, it's John, you know, your son, you know. Uh, I, and I said, there's this contract, this rental agreement. I don't, I, don't know what to, I don't know if I should sign it or not. He said, oh, he calls me Johnny. There's like three people on the planet that call me Johnny. He, called, he says, Johnny, it'll be fine. Oh, <laughs> so that's what the business law class was supposed to tell me. Like, if there's a contract there, just sign it. It'll be fine, right? Doesn't that feel like a lot of times the advice you get when you're going through your thing, that there's somebody around you that's like, oh, it'll work out. And you're like, really? I'd like to punch you in the neck right now. Like, that doesn't help at all. My dad didn't help me at all. I could have said that. I could have told myself that. Like there's something else going on with anxiety where you just can't go to another person and go, oh, it'll be fine. Just go ahead and sign it. Oh, yeah, it'll be fine. Hey, I'm going to the doctor. I have a tumor on my, the back of my neck the size of a lemon. He's like, oh, it'll be fine. Like that doesn't help. What helps? Well, what I'm hoping, oh, here's another picture. This is me drying my underwear with a hairdryer uh, in that uh, duplex. So anyway, it was a long story, but I just wanted to show you. It was very fantastic. It, <laughs> 
it was next to the other picture in my little thing. So anyway, what makes you anxious? Is it, is it your house? Is it your kids? Is it school? Is it finances? That's a, that's a big one. Is it the fact that you're alone? You think you might not ever not be alone? Is it that your marriage is just, you're wondering, where is this going to go? Is it your third marriage where you're going, where is this going to go? Is it going to end up like my first two? Like what, what, what makes you anxious? Well, what I'm hoping to do this morning in the next uh, several minutes is talk about uh, how to identify what that is and then how to get past it without just going, oh, it'll be fine, okay? Um, and, and one of the ways I want to do that is with a scripture in 1 Peter um, chapter 2, verse 11. Um, I don't know if you know any missionaries or if you support any missionaries, but almost every missionary I've known has had a missionary eating story. <laughs> and, and basically it goes like this. They're, they're, most of the missionaries I know are, are white, okay, Americans, and they eat in and out and they eat pizza and they eat all the things, tacos and stuff, everything that Americans eat. And then they go to another country to be a missionary. And in that country, uh, oftentimes they don't eat the same types of things. And a lot of times it's in a country where um, you're not quite sure what exactly it, it is. And, in, and, and so they go to this country and they have a meal with whatever village it is. And, and by the way, Don Rogers, it will, uh, who we support here at church, will be speaking in a couple weeks uh, for ELI. And I'll, I'll ask him to tell us one of those stories because he has several of them where he's been in a village or whatever. And they've wanted to honor him. And so they kill some type of animal. And for some reason, in these missionary stories, it always ends up that the most undesirable part of the animal that you and I would just think is disgusting, they highly value. And so maybe it's like a sheep's eyeball. I had a friend who was a missionary, and, and, and they, they killed a sheep. And there's, don't get me wrong, there's lots of parts of those sheep that I, would, I wouldn't mind eating, okay? Eyeballs, not so much. And so, so... There they are at the table, and, 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 you know, this particular culture values these eyeballs. Um, and so you can imagine kids at the table, I want the eyeball. No, you got it last. You know, you can just imagine in this culture. And so, no, 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 no. The, the missionary is going to get the eyeball, you know. And so, like, it's looking at you, you know. And so, you know, so you have to figure out how you're going to do that. Well, you and I, we, we, we laugh at that because they're so unsophisticated, you know. Uh, uh, you know, leg of lamb, that's okay. But highball, no, that, that's, that's gross. But their culture values that. Well, here's what I'm hoping to propose to you. That I would imagine that your source of anxiety comes from something that our culture values but doesn't necessarily, when we think about it, match up with what the kingdom of God values. And so there's this tension there. As a matter of fact, like, like we talked about, Paul says the deeds of the flesh and the spirit of God are, are in conflict with one another. And that conflict raises anxiety. Let me show you what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11 he says beloved I urge you as aliens and strangers like missionaries coming to another culture to abstain from fleshly lusts now you'll look at that and and, and you'll dismiss a lot of different things because fleshly lust sounds like you're you know 
whatever, doing fleshly, lusty stuff, okay? And, and so it sounds like, like but, but really, um, another translation has a, this is an unfortunate translation. It, it, one says sinful desires, and even that sounds like you're at a party, like a frat party or whatever. It's really just those things that we want to do, that we want to invest in, that, listen, that bring us value that the kingdom of God doesn't really value at all. It's like the sheep's eyeballs, okay? It's like the thing that we think is just the most important thing in the world, and the kingdom of God goes, that's not important at all. Well, here's what Paul, Peter's saying. He's saying, I'm telling you to start to look at your surroundings, your job, your school, your neighborhood, the, the things that we typically just value without even looking at it, and start thinking of it as though you were a stranger, you're from another culture. Would you typically value these things? Because here's the problem, and this is what, what Paul says. What happens when we go after those things, those things wage war against our soul. And, and I would submit to you this, that anxiety is just an indication that there is something waging war against your soul and you're losing that war. That there's some pressure, there's something somewhere along the line. Someone told you you need to be somewhere, be somebody, doing something, be at a certain level, uh, have certain amount of friends, have a certain car, have certain kids that end up being astronauts. What, whatever the thing is, there's something, there's some value that culture has given you that because you're not measuring up in your eyes or because things aren't working out, you know, someone told you you're supposed to live to your you're 90 years old and have uh, an unlimited cash and you're supposed to end up golfing and then there's just something in there and you're just like, I'll never make that. That is a war that is waged against your soul. And God, your heavenly father, would say, there's a way out of that. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, one of the things that we, we rarely do because we're just so embedded in the culture, is we rarely question the, the, the initial narrative. Like we just accept and adopt a lot of these things that would just come naturally. And I'll give you an example. If I were to tell you um, that I have a, um, um, a son or a daughter, and uh, they get straight A's, and they have a full ride to MIT, and um, they're going to get a great job as a biophysicist and make lots of money, and, and off they go. You, you would, you, oh, how did you do it? What did you, what did you do? That, that's, that's great. We value that kind of stuff. Why? Now, 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 again, if you have a kid who's got straight A's, who's going to MIT as a biophysicist, and they're going to make lots of money, fantastic. But here's the problem with narratives. What if I don't have a straight A student, I have a straight B student, and I drive them, and I drive them, and I drive them, and I drive them. You've got to get straight A's, you've got to go to a great college, you've got to get a great job. Straight A's, great college, great job. Straight A's, great college, great job. And off they go. And you're working, and as a family, you're working. Straight A's, great college, great job. And off you go, and they get straight A's. Oh, everybody, oh, do you know, my daughter is so smart. Oh, wow, that's straight A's, wow. All those AP classes, oh, my goodness, oh, great college. Oh, wow, everything, everything, no job. Uh-oh. All their life, all their life they've been told, straight A's, good college, good job. 
Great job. And now it doesn't come. Where's their peace going to be? Where's their peace going to be? They're not going to have any peace. The narrative is straight A's, great college, great job. And now they don't have great job. Or they have great job and then they lay off. Or, or, or they, 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 they get this financial security and the market turns or whatever. Where, where's the peace going to be? Where's the, that narrative, while it sounds awesome, and if you have that going, great. But for some, all we're doing is just exacerbating this horrible narrative, this strap heavy loads upon whoever it is. Other people, we tell them, Hey, you know, sports or what have you, or my kid is involved in ballet and, uh, you know, cross country and all this and just activity after activity after activity. We just like cram it. We just keep going and going and going and going and going. They go to college get, and, they, and they get to the end and they just like, I, I, where's the peace in that? Where, where does the peace end up being? And so, so for us, you know, we think um, what, uh, that picture of us in the duplex. Oftentimes I think to myself, what if Lisa and I just stayed there? You know, because we went from there and we bought a house and then we sold that house. We rented a house and then we bought another house. Like, what if we just stayed there? We would have been fine financially. We would have been fine. Well, here's the underlying narrative. Well, but then you had kids. Where are the kids going to go? You need, you need to get a bigger place. Because the kid needs his, the kid needs his or her own room, really. That's interesting because that's like that's like an American thing. Ninety percent of the world isn't having this conversation that I have to go buy a bigger house because every single one of my kids has to have their own room. That just doesn't. That's not a that the rest of the world would have you one family in one room, and the other family. This is a narrative we've created. Now again, hear me, please. I'm not saying if you have a house and it has 28 rooms and you've only got a puppy, I, I don't, it doesn't matter. The thing is, what, is there something bringing you anxiety? If you have 28 rooms and, you, and that's fine and fine and you're living in the, with the peace of God, just manifesting himself in your family, great. But if not... If, you, if your family is filled with anxiety, I would challenge you to look and say, is there some narrative, some cultural thing that I've bought into that is just pushing me and waging war against my soul, as Peter said. Now, how do we get out of this? Because that's really the most important thing. We can sit and identify it all day long. Well, the way I like to get out of stuff is to run. No, the way I like to get out of stuff is to look at Jesus. Because Jesus didn't seem to have a life where he was real frantic. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite stories was, um, and I like to read the Bible as though um, it is happening right in front of me. Um, But Peter comes over to Jesus and he says, um, we need a a temple tax. Like everybody for the temple every year had to give a tax. And Peter's freaking out because they don't have any money, you know, right? And And so Jesus is, I just picture him just kind of kicking back. I don't know, reading the paper. And, uh, and, and Peter comes up, hey, we, we, need the, we need this temple tax, you know. And, and you know, Jesus kind of looks over his glasses because Jesus wears glasses exactly like mine. And so, you know, he's reading and he looks up and he's like, oh, what's that? Uh-huh, okay. Well, why don't you go down to the, to the lake, grab a fish, and inside the fish's mouth, um, there'll be the tax for both you and me. Like, Wow. Hey, Jesus, I need my taxes paid, you know. I go over to the, nothing ever happens. But anyway, so, 
so, so like Jesus was just calm. How, how did that happen? Now, listen to what he says. This is fantastic. This is in John chapter 14. This is the day before Jesus dies. Okay, so if you're Jesus, kind of a busy time right now. Uh, very stressful because the next day you're dying. Okay, so you'd, your mind would be filled, at least mine would, would be that. Uh, and, and here's what he says. He's talking to them for a while and he says, all this I've spoken to you while still with you. You can touch me, feel like, pat my head. You've seen me eat. You've seen me trip over stuff. You've, you've, you've kind of, you've just seen me. I, I'm a man. Like I've said all this stuff while you can see me. Okay. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, which obviously you cannot see, whom the father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. So here's what Jesus is saying. First of all, um, there's a theology, a doctrine called the Trinity, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Different entities, but the same entity. It's kind of mind-boggling. It's supposed to be. He's God. It's, he's not supposed to be able to, you know, it's okay that you don't understand it. But this is a great verse that has all, all three of them in the same thing. It's I, Jesus talking, the Holy Spirit, and the Father. What Jesus is saying is, look, there's going to come a time where I'm not around anymore. So the way we related, where you could see what was going on and miracles and all that, that's going away. And the Holy Spirit's going to come, and, and, and you're not going to be able to, to see me. Now, this is a big shift for them. Because before they could just go to Jesus and go, hey, Jesus, what's up with that? And Jesus would talk to them. Or Jesus would say, hey, come here. Look at that person giving money at, at, at the temple. Let me tell you something about that. Or, or they, he, they, Jesus would, you know, they, they'd be on a boat and everything would be messed up. And Jesus is sleeping and they could wake him up. They, they had access right there, just right to Jesus. And now that's going to change. Well, if you're Jesus, what's the thing you'd want to give somebody if they couldn't talk to you anymore and they had to go through that now, this relationship where, where uh, it's like they have to just deal with a spirit, really? Like the thing I'd want to impart to the disciples to keep the thing going would be faith. Because if Jesus isn't there and it's just this Holy Spirit that's supposed to be guiding and directing... If I'm used to seeing you all the time and now there's this, I'd want faith. That would be the thing I'd want Jesus to impart to me. Maybe it would be something different. Maybe it would be boldness because now Jesus was the one who used to talk and trash on the Pharisees and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus seemed to be able to deal with everybody really well. And now he's gone and now it's just me. I'd want boldness. This is what Jesus, the day before he dies imparts to the disciples peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. This is one of the most incredible... Like, imagine if you knew you were dying tomorrow. Okay, I'll, I'll just... Let me, let me just personalize it. If I knew tomorrow was my day... I don't know. Maybe peace would be the thing. 
But I would be thinking about, I'd be contemplating my life and what and this and that. I'd be trying to get, make sure Lisa knows all the passwords to everything. I'd be like trying to think of all this kind of stuff that needs to be handled before I leave. And Jesus is like, oh, that's all handled by my heavenly father. He's sending the spirit. Don't even worry about it. You'll be fine. Now, when Jesus says you'll be fine, it's a lot different than when my dad says you'll be fine. My dad probably just wanted to get back to another thing of Matlock. I don't know, you know, he just might have been just, you know, whatever. Jesus comes with this sense of just the peace I experience with my heavenly father. That's what I impart to you. Watch what he says. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. See, peace that the world gives is striving. You're chasing you're chasing the A. You're chasing the grades. You're chasing uh, the, the, the spouse to try and get the spouse you want. You're chasing the career. You're, you're chasing all these things. You're chasing retirement. And when you get it, oh, there's a sense of, oh, I, I got it. I made it. We arrived is some of the things that we'll say. Jesus says, I don't, I don't give peace that way. The, the, the world says you, you earn it. You, you have to go after it. And with the world, it's, it's this and then it's this. It's, a, it's kind of a moving target. Jesus says, I, I, don't, I don't give that way. And, and look what he says. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And then in verse 28, he says, you heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you'd be glad I'm going to the Father. I'm going to be with the Father. There is no safer, no calmer, no more glorious, no more completing, no more valuable place than to be with your heavenly father. And Jesus not only knows this about dying and going to heaven, if you will, he knew that on earth. As a matter of fact, he would say things like this. I don't don't say anything unless my father tells me to say it. I don't do anything unless my father tells me. Tells me to do it. At one point, he had, uh, the uh, matter of fact, at one point, it was just before here, he says to them, well, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, there's this, and again, we're talking about the Trinity, so it's a little more complicated, but Jesus modeled everything for us. That there's a sense, one, one time when Jesus was about ready to launch the ministry, right? Okay, so the IPO is coming and he's ready to launch and here we go. And they got all their branding and they got their little tagline, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, you know, kind of all this kind of stuff. He has to pick the 12 disciples. You know what he does? He goes to the mountain and he prays. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he would often go a- a- alone and just pray to his heavenly father. And so Jesus is saying, man, my peace I give to you. If, you. if you can get this idea that you are in the Father's hands. So he says, uh, um, I'm going to the Father. The Father is greater, greater than I. I've told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. And then, then I, this, one of this, this particular phrase just got me because of what it implies. He says, come now, let us leave. In other words, he is walking straight into his death. Like that's his journey, that's his path. Now don't get me wrong, that wasn't without a little bit of anxiety. He was in the, he was in the garden, what did he say? Father, not my will. If, 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 it, if there's any way to get out of this, man, let, let's do it. Let this cup pass before me is the language he uses. 
But he says, but not my will, but yours be done. That connection. So how do we do that? Right? We, we can't just say, oh, it'll be fine. Because in a lot of cases, the situation will not be fine. That, that there won't be a healing. There won't be a rescue. You're going to have to just go through it. Well, there's a famous section of scripture. We went over it not six months ago. And I want to go over it again. But I want to focus on another little part of it. It's found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. And it starts out with a really annoying phrase that, that if you're going through something really difficult, if someone came up and just said this to you, you, you'd, you'd, it would be very frustrating. You'd call your friend and go, do you know what they just said to me? This is what they said. Do not be anxious about anything. Oh, okay, great, thanks. I won't. The test came back. They told me I got six months. But now that you've said don't be anxious, I won't, you know. That doesn't make any sense. And if he stopped right there, it would almost sound cruel. Except Paul knows what Jesus knows. He says this, but in, in the midst of, in the middle of all the muck, right in the sense of where the anxiety lies, in the middle of it, in every situation, do what? This is, this is the key. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Let me, let me just add a couple little things to this. This does not mean just pray about it. Well, have you prayed about it? Like, yes, I did pray about it. Oh, okay, well, don't worry about it. Just pray about it. That's not where this goes. The operative word is present. By presenting, we are being present before our Heavenly Father. We, we, we go before him to let him know what is going. This is exactly what Jesus did in the garden. He said, Father, if there's any way to let this cup pass before me. And he was just before his heavenly father. He was present before him. So the prayer and the petition and the thanksgiving, that's that's the vehicle by which we do that. And those are important to pray and to petition and have thanksgiving. But present is the opposite word because when we present, we are present with him. I hope that makes sense. And so it's not just a prayer of driving down the freeway and go, oh man, that's right. And Lord, for my meeting today, I pray that you'd help me out. Those are fine. Those, those are fine. But that isn't, that's just offering requests to God. And that's inviting him into things and that's great. But to be present, to spend some time before your heavenly father going, God, this is what I'm going through. Now, what is amazing to me is the next verse. Because the next verse doesn't have anything to do with the circumstances anymore. It really doesn't even have anything to do with how you pray, petition, and give thanksgiving. It's the idea that in the presence of God, and, and maybe this happens in the morning or at night where you can just get alone and you can just go before him. It says this, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Being present is what brings the peace, not the circumstance, 
not the fixing. It's being present. Here's what I wrote down. The peace comes from presenting. As Lisa comes back up to uh, play for us when we take communion, we're going we're gonna to take communion right now. Um, I, I want to do a couple things, and if the, if the ushers would come forward and get that set up, that would be awesome. Uh, just on either side. And... But getting this understanding that this daily time before God, this daily time of just forgetting all these other things, but just going before him in his presence, presenting these requests, is where we begin to, and, and a lot of us who've, who've been a Christian for a long time have actually experienced this peace that surpasses all comprehension. You go in, you begin to pray to God, you begin to invite him into things, you begin to present your offering and, and, uh, of, of, of requests and thanksgiving, all that, and all of a sudden you begin to go, you know what? However it works out, it's going to work out. That doesn't happen naturally. One of the things we say here at church all the time is this. Every anxious thought is a call to prayer. That those anxious thoughts should drive us to the throne, not drive us to be driven to go make it happen, but to drive us to the throne. So before we take communion, here's what I'd like to do. I was really God impressed this upon me last night to do this. Some of you right now are just anxious. You just got stuff. And it's your kids or grandkids or your grandparents or uh, people who are, are uh, struggling. Uh, or maybe it's you. Maybe it's your grades. Maybe it's friends. All this kind of stuff. You just, you just co- you've come in here with a weight. And in a second... In a little bit, I'm going to ask you to stand up, okay? Now, now, now listen, before I, before I invite you to do that, I just want to explain why, why that's important. It's not to be a display. It's nothing magical, okay? What it does, when, 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 if you're going through that, it, it's that going, saying, okay, I'm standing up, and Lord, I realize there's nothing I can do in this situation. It's almost a... A, a, a posture of humility. And when you stand up, what I'm going to ask is that the people who didn't have to stand up, maybe there's something they're not going through or whatever, I'm going to ask them to come and just lay their hand on you. And, 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 and again, there's nothing magical or mystical about that. It's us being the church together. It's what we do as a church family. It's how we support one another. And then while you're, while you're standing there and you're, you're, the people around you have their hands on your shoulder. And again, if you're new and you're like, I ain't touching nobody, that's fine. You, you can sit there. I, like I said, it's not, it's not like 100% participation or it doesn't work, okay? It's just as that happens, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a prayer of peace over those that are standing. And so, uh, and then what we'll do after that, after I pray that prayer of peace, then, then we'll be done with that. And then we can come and take communion as Lisa uh, leads us in a song. And when you take communion, again, everybody's welcome to take communion. If you don't feel comfortable, if you feel like, man, that, that's a little bit too much God for me, then that's fine. You can, you can, you can sit there. It doesn't matter. But we'll come up. We'll take communion. You can take it back to your seats or you can come to the stage. A lot of people will come and kneel. And that's all, that's all great. So, so if you have the courage and you're going through something uh, that you just want prayer for, would you stand up something that you just feel is out of your control?
Great. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? I want to make sure we don't miss anybody. Okay. Anyone who, who needs prayer for that? Awesome. Awesome. Great. Am I missing anybody? I want to make sure we don't miss anybody. Okay. Now, those who are sitting, take a look around. Get to someone close to you, okay? Figure out who you're going to lay hands on, okay? And just get up and go do that now, please. Just, and just as best you can. Some people might not, you might not make it up. But if those in the back, maybe Tim or, and Wendy, if you guys could come up here. There's some people up here who uh, need, great. Is there anyone who isn't being prayed for? Are you guys standing? Shannon, would you pray with them for me? Thanks, hon. Anybody else? Am I missing anybody? Yeah. What? Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Jeremy, would you come and lay hands? Yeah, thank you. Great. Good. Okay. It was Brandy, right? Okay, good, good. I didn't know which one. I didn't. Okay, thanks, Brandy. Am I missing anybody? Awesome. Okay, good. Guys, listen to me. This is just the church being the church. This is what we do, okay? We care for one another. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you know every anxious thought in this room. You know every detail of what's going on. You know the brokenness we come into these situations with. And so, Lord, right now, we just come into your presence as you've asked us to do, to be present before you. Lord, we acknowledge you as God. We know you are bigger than all these things. We know you give us the strength to get through these things. Right now, Lord God, I just specifically pray for the peace of God to wash over all those who stood and all those who did not want to stand. That they would sense your presence. They'd know your goodness. they know that you are in control. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>